Hello, adventurers. You have found Homebrew Heels, a Nat One Life podcast. I am one of your hosts, hostesses, hostesses, Amanda. <laughs> My sister Sarah and I will be talking you through some of the Nat Ones we've rolled in the medical health areas of our life. We are not medical professionals by any means, although I personally have watched quite a bit of Grey's Anatomy. We will be sharing our experiences, how we're advocating for our health, what the experience is like in all its details, good and the gross, the costs of the adventure, and most importantly, how we are working to stay happy and motivated through it all. Paul has dreams where his teeth fall out. Just oh, fall out. Yeah, mine is one of my surgical scars opens up and my guts fall out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm so, sorry. That that is terrifying though to have a dream like that. It's just it's the it, it basically illustrates my anxiety to a T. Right. Complete catastrophe. Let's talk about that. You're rolling out one. What does the double damage look like? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of damage are we talking? Piercing, bludgeoning, you know, some stuff right. you can come back from a little easier. Or are we talking uh, about a nat one on a death save throw? <laughs> right. For your daughter, because, you know, I did that before. So, <laughs> whatever. We have a necromancer with us. Everything's fine. Right. Um, <laughs> we're good. We're good. <laughs> so, Sarah, question for you. What have you done so far to help with your gut issues? Because my path was weird. So, I've done now a couple of different tests and I've seen two different doctors but I have to say even though your path was weird it kind of paved the path for me and so I think ultimately my path was kind of based off of yours and determined because of your experiences because you went before I did to seek help and everything but my first step was I went and saw a allergist to see if I was officially allergic to anything because over like the course of my life, I started to like just start telling people that I'm allergic to certain foods. So Mm -hmm. like the dairy, I just, I made the correlation between uh, me feeling sick and consuming dairy products so I just told everybody automatically I'm lactose intolerant and then so mm -hmm. sorry go ahead no and I was same with onions like I noticed that whenever I took a bite of a good chunk of onion or a uncooked onion that uh, I would just I would almost instantly feel sick especially if they're red onions and so then I just started telling people I'm allergic to onions, even though there was no other basis for that fact or assumption. Right. Other than when I do this, it makes me feel sick. Right. Yep. So I went to an allergist and uh, because ultimately I kept telling people that I was allergic to certain things or certain foods, or I would even like, I would try to be more honest about it because I didn't want to become 100% open with everybody I met. <laughs> oh, my God. Cole just jumped on my back. Like with claws I'm, out? Yes. I'm so oh. sorry. I'm ignoring 
crazy. Oh, uh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. You're going to have to <laughs> Yeah. that. My adrenaline just went through the roof. Okay, so you kept telling people I'm allergic to stuff. So you're like, hey, maybe I should actually see if I am <laughs> or if I'm just a liar. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to, like, open up to strangers and be like, let me give you my life history, like my life story about my stomach. It's just shorter to be like, no, I'm allergic. Like, Absolutely. And so, yes, so I decided my first step was to go to an allergist and they, um, so when I got there, I told uh, the doctor, you know, what my gut issues have been and whatnot and the reasons why I was there. And they were, they agreed, like the first step, definitely check to see if you have allergies because then it's easy for you to remove those out of your diet. Right. They're like, hey don't eat soy and you're like cool I won't eat soy and all of a sudden I can be normal right exactly and she um, did explain to me how there were different types of allergy tests and ultimately she thought that blood would be the best form drawing blood okay so not a scratch test right so not a scratch test and she explained to me why it something to do with she thought that based off of my history that the information would be more clear or the test results would be more defined through blood instead of the scratch test well and i guess that makes sense right because when you eat the food you're not breaking out on your face you're not having a skin reaction it's something happening inside Right, exactly. And okay. there, like, when I explained lactose intolerance, she asked additional questions. And she's like, okay, well, does that mean, like, all dairy products? Or can you stand, like, the hard cheeses and stuff? And so I'm assuming that based off of just my personal history, she thought blood would be best. Okay. And then what happened from that test? Oh, my gosh, I I couldn't believe it. I got the results back and I am allergic to absolutely nothing. You're like the weirdest person alive. I feel like most people are allergic to actually at least one thing. It'll be like <laughs> grass, you know, like, oh, right. yeah, or I even if it's like minor. Right. No, nope, nothing. Even milk. No, nope, no signs of it. Okay, so this is, brings up an interesting point because, you know, as we're talking, I have a little notepad with me and I take notes just in case there's things I want to circle back to. And I wrote down allergic versus intolerant. So have you explored that at all through your journey? Because maybe you are not allergic. You're not at the level of triggering an allergic response in your body. And that is exactly what the allergist basically told me. Um, she said that after the results came back and there was nothing there, she kind of just told me that there's something else going on. And the only other way really to find out what's happening is to go see a gastro doctor. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. 
milk, onions, anything else that you pinpointed over the years? Uh, alcohol. And I think I, I, if I remember correctly, I believe I mentioned like pop because it really like speeds up the process. <laughs> yeah. It's all that corn syrup probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. And so, um, I asked about the allergy versus intolerant because I kind of went the opposite way. I have never seen an allergist. I saw one when I was younger. I got some allergy testing done because I have a lot of sinus issues. But the reason why I started with and going the way I went was because of my history just with medical professionals in general. Oh, okay. And so I decided to go see a naturopath first. And I had a friend at work that had been to one and had recommended them. And so I made an appointment and you have to have a very open mind when you go to a naturopath sometimes. But these, they they have medical degrees. Like they are actual medical doctors. And I had my food intolerances tested and they did it by taking a sample of my blood from my earlobe and then also by looking at my eyes and my irises and whoever's listening out there you're probably rolling your eyes at this point <laughs> and starting to google and all you're seeing is pseudoscience and blah 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 yes okay i understand the skepticism i was skeptical myself my husband was skeptical and it's just something that I decided to pursue the path because in my past, all I've been to all these doctors for different medical problems, and that's all detailed in our blog, but I didn't want to go see another doctor just to be disappointed or just to be told there was nothing else they could do because I had been told that for so many other problems that then turned into bigger problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went and they told me my intolerances, and it was really eye-opening and I stopped eating fruit almost all fruit I was intolerant to um, grain and sugar together um, or within six hours of each other mint all sorts of just weird stuff and so I for about three months committed to eating only foods that i that weren't on my intolerance list and it was really hard sure no no fruit I love yeah no fruit. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I did that. I was losing weight still at that point. And it was just a really interesting experience. But I did start to feel a little bit better. Okay. Um, but I was losing a lot of weight. And I was like, it's just because I've changed my diet so drastically. And I just wanted to do it for a period of time to see how I was feeling. And I kind of hit a wall. And I kept losing weight, even though I started eating like I had been before, like gradually adding things back in. And uh, my energy level was just declining rapidly. And it was kind of like I had made it to like the high point and then it was just crashing back down the hill, like Mm -hmm. just rolling down the hill. And so that's when I was like, I need to go see a gastrointestinal specialist and my naturopath actually recommended that I do so. They were like, they've recommended that I do that and then also see a back specialist. So I really appreciated them basically saying, you know, at some point you do like their medical intervention is needed. So 
it so was interesting. They so they took blood from your earlobe and looked at your irises, and just from that alone, they yeah. were able to tell you your intolerances. And yep. after that, what was their suggestion? Was it just to cut those out and see how it goes first to see if yep. anything further was needed? Right. So their whole theory is that most inflammation, so that most disease and like cancer or things like that are caused from inflammation over time and that most inflammation is caused from the food that we ingest because we're eating what we should not be eating based upon our own specific needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so basically at that point, they're like, you know, you probably have a bacteria or something like that in your gut or you have like an IBS, some kind of something that's, a severe enough version that they can't treat it naturally. Mm-hmm. Like you need some kind of pharmaceutical and or surgical intervention in order to help whatever's going on, at least for a time being to help stabilize and then come back to some kind of normalcy. And they do that a lot with like people that go on blood pressure medication where you need to get it under control, but then you get all the underlying issues under control and then you yes. can come the medication later and so kind of something similar so but yes they they were able to tell me all of my intolerances based upon blood from my earlobe and looking at my irises interesting so the blood from my earlobe they take they put it on slides and you come back so they look at it under a microscope and you come back like another day the next day or two days later whenever your follow-up appointment is mm-hmm. and then they tell you okay so then so i I'm trying to understand the time frame real fast here. So mm. did you wait three months before going to a gastro gastroenterologist? No, I waited. I waited a lot longer. So I went and got my intolerances tested and I was committed, like committed right out of the gate. I'm going to do this for three months. I'm going to eat only the foods that I should be eating based upon what this naturopath is telling me. And I did that. Well, I was also traveling for work back and forth a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't get to go, go to the doctor. I was out of town like four to five days a week and then coming back just for the weekends. And that time was spent with my family. And so it was just a lot of back and forth. So there was a good 18 months where I didn't see a doctor. Oh, and wow. So, okay. Over a year. Yeah. And so that time I was still, I was just trying to eat. Um, as best I could, but I, uh, outside of those three months, I did not commit to that regiment. So I came back from traveling and took a position where I didn't have to travel for my corporate job. And then I had some personal things happen with my son and mm-hmm. he kind of took precedent for a while. And so then throughout all of that, I just kept losing weight. And that year, it was probably 2018, 2017, 2018 was when I lost 100 pounds. And that was scary because I wasn't meaning to. There was right. just so much stuff that was going on. I wasn't paying attention to what was happening to my health. And so I was just losing weight. And because I was overweight, nobody thought anything of it. And so after that, I then decided I needed to see a gastrointestinal specialist because I was throwing up so much. I couldn't really keep any food down. And if I wasn't throwing up, I was shitting my brains out in the bathroom. Yeah. So, okay. So 
18 months go by, you've lost a ton of weight. Mm-hmm. And so you finally make the appointment, you go in, and what's one of the first things that they have you do? Well, so the first thing I actually had to do was see my primary care doctor and tell her, this is what I'm experiencing. Can you refer me to a gastrointestinal specialist? And that's just because that's how my my physician's like clinic or whatever works. Mm-hmm. They have all the specialists there. You just have to, you know, make sure you're getting to the right person. And so she referred me to my gastrointestinal doctor and I was super excited because I had developed a good relationship with her over with my kids mostly and my husband um, rather than myself over the last couple of years prior to that. Sure. And then she mentioned that she saw this doctor as well and that he really helped her. So I'm like, all right. So if a doctor sees a doctor, then it's got to be a good doctor, right? You'd hope so. And so she got me in and I had to wait. And it was kind of like you, like I had to wait a while to get seen. I don't think there's a lot of them out there. I haven't done any research around that. And maybe I'll write that down for the blog, but there just must be in high demand or I'm not even sure. Well, and I have to say, so that is interesting to bring up. And I do wonder about the statistics as well, because I I don't have a primary doctor and the main reason is just because this is the longest I have spent in one place yeah. in my life. And so I have never had the need for a primary doctor really and I even to this day I don't have one yet. We hardly ever go to the doctors, but it's just now becoming a more frequent occurrence and so I'm sure in the near future, I will definitely be getting a primary because from what you've said just in this conversation alone is how like your primary doctor is the one that you go to speak to in regards to anything that's occurring Mm -hmm. and they're your middleman. They're the ones that assist you in getting from point A to point B where for me, I don't have that. And so the allergist is the one that recommended the gastro doctor to me, but it wasn't even a specific doctor. It was just which facility I should go to based on ratings. And that is like the main hospital. So they have their own building and they have a team, but I still don't know if the doctor I have currently is considered one of the best. Like, I don't know. It sounds funny, but I don't know what his reviews are. Right. You haven't checked his ratings. Right. Exactly. So I definitely am interested in getting a primary doctor, but uh, I think it's great that you had that set up already and that the doctor that was recommended was by another doctor who uses them. Right. Well, and I think there there's an importance in having a primary doctor just because they know you holistically or in theory, they know you holistically. So if you're like, oh, I went and saw a gastrointestinal specialist and they're, you're, they're like, oh, what's going on? And you list these symptoms and then they're like, well, Sarah, remember last month when you came in and you said you had this problem, I put you on that medication? Well, that's a side effect of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I didn't think about that. Well, because you're so focused on the symptom. You might not be looking at the big picture. And so a primary doctor really is more of a big picture doctor. Like, And 
maintenance, you know, check under the hood every once in a while. So the blood work and stuff like that. But yeah, Sarah, you're in your dirty thirties now. So I know cares where it's at (laughs) almost midlife. So getting there (laughs) anyway. So that's how I got to my gastro. Okay. So you got to the gastro and then what happened after that? So I spent very, very little time with my doctor. Um, Anyway, so I barely had a conversation with him and he said, "Okay, well, it sounds like, you know, it was kind of like the similar to what you had told me about your conversation. Is it really diarrhea? Because I'm like, I have diarrhea. Describe to me your diarrhea. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And this is where I was like, I need to normalize the conversation about poop because I was embarrassed. But he was just like, just, you know. Shoot it to me straight, so to speak. Right. What's your shit like? And mine is diarrhea. Like, it's enough in volume and liquid that it is diarrhea. And so he immediately jumped to IBSD. So that's irritable bowel syndrome. The D, I guess, is for diarrhea um, because there's a C, which I think is for constipation, I believe is what it is. And so that's what he says and I'm like okay and he, but this was before my colonoscopy so then he suggests the colonoscopy and the upper endoscopy based upon what I was describing as well with my acid reflux that's just terrible and the vomiting and all of that and he's like you know between all of those things we'll be able to figure out what's going on cool so we schedule those appointments out well again that can't happen for several months because yeah He's a specialist. And so it's like, all right, so we're like six months into this next year by the time all of this stuff is happening. And I get my first colonoscopy and upper endoscopy and I have permanent like esophageal damage. Um, I have I had polyps both times. I, I have to have a colonoscopy annually now, but I had them both times and they had to be removed. And luckily, like all benign, you know, but mm-hmm. They didn't find, I have some diverticulum, I'll check into how you say that, but diverticulum, so nothing that was inflamed at the time, but pockets within my intestine that potentially fill with like pus or whatever, and they get infected, and that can cause pain, and people develop them over time, you know, anyway, so. When I was going to ask, so do those occur just naturally? Is it because of certain foods? They don't occur in everybody based upon my research. I'll have to do some more research on it. I don't want to speak to it and like say something completely wrong, Um, but I'll definitely add something in the blog for anybody that's curious because from what I recall, it's only specific people, but they don't know the trigger. They Mm, have assumptions, but it'll be interesting to research that. I'm writing that down now. (laughs) Diverticulum. Anyway, so that's what he came away with. And I'm like, so that doesn't really explain anything to me. And he said, okay, well, let's do some testing with your diet. So I rolled back on certain things that normally trigger for people that have IBS. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. But none of it was working. I was still like crapping my brains out all the time. I'm like, I'm still throwing up, pooping, pooping, pooping. And he's like, okay, let's try something else. And he put me on a SIBO, so that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth diet. And it is extremely restrictive. Is it? Yeah. 
like down to counting how many almonds you can have in a day. Oh, man. And not, you know, oh, oh, can you have strawberries? Oh, I love strawberries. I can have this many a day. I love green beans, but I can only have 10. I love, Mm -hmm. you know, and so be because it's all about fermentability in your guts. So is it is it sitting in your stomach and the bacteria causing it to ferment and causing all of this like additional like gas to build up or whatever and and or bacteria to grow excessively and eat all of the stuff that you're putting in, you know, Mm -hmm. all your fuel. So. I go on this diet and I do it like religiously because I have to take a test, the SIBO, the breath test, which you're about to take, I believe. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yes. And so I do it. And then this breath test comes in and I have to breathe into these glass tubes and mail them off after drinking this special solution. Well, the reason why he wanted me to be so clean in the diet for at least 30 days was because I was having so many issues. He's like, I don't want there to be any chance of anything like left in your system. Like just don't feed that bacteria for 30 days. And then we introduce this sugary solution stuff that you drink. And basically it, You've made bread, right? Mm-hmm. And have you used dry active yeast? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you get the warm water, but not too warm because you don't want right. to kill it. And you let the yeast sit in the warm water for a couple of minutes and it gets all foamy. Well, then you throw some sugar in there. Well, then it gets it really freaking foamy because you're feeding it. And so mm-hmm. basically I'm drinking this solution that's feeding this bacteria and you breathe into these tubes and it you breathe into them at specific time increments after drinking and it since you'll you have to ask for your records but they you they get a chart and it shows like a bell curve of the levels of this gas that you are creating in your breath every time you breathe out because of the bacteria in your gut in your intestine And so it's just really interesting. So mine was just freaking really high. And he's like, you have bacteria overtaking your intestine. You need to take this antibiotic for 15 days. I'm like, okay, cool. I can take an antibiotic for 15 days. You know, I'm used to that. Right. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, listen to number one. (laughs) And yeah. And so I take the antibiotic. I feel better for maybe four days. And then I'm right back to where I was. Really? Yep. And then then I called him back and let him know how I was feeling. And he's like, sometimes some people have a really bad SIBO, like just really bad intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And they have to be on a permanent regimen of antibiotics, like weekly for their life. And I was like, uh... I don't like that answer. And then I just ran away from my problem because I didn't uh, want to take no. antibiotics for the rest of my life. And so, so now I just poop my brains out and feel very tired on a daily basis. Okay, so I will loop my story into this because yeah. as you're dating, I'm about to take this same test, this SIBO test. Yeah. But this SIBO test will be considered my fifth test to determine my gut issues. So 
And my situation has been moving a lot faster than yours, but that's because I am in a position in life where I am able to just push through all this. And it actually, I am kind of considering that maybe that wasn't a good decision, um, which I'll get into why that is right now. So after the allergist and being recommended to go to a gastro doctor, mm-hmm. I immediately went ahead and kind of like looked into that and looked to make the appointment. Like uh, with your doctor, mine was fairly busy. And since it's just like an introduction and con- consultation, um, they set it out for like a month in the future. And so okay. after speaking with you, Uh, In regards to like what my next steps were and what I was doing, you suggested to me about the FODMAP diet Mm -hmm. and how it's uh, very common for people who are trying to determine what's wrong with their insides, their guts, that they have to be put on this FODMAP diet because like kind of like what they were assuming with you, I might just have a severe case of IBS. And so I went ahead and I put myself on that FODMAP diet, but it was kind of loose. Like I wasn't a hundred percent committed to it. I was testing out these new foods and trying to find the stuff that actually tasted good and something that I could actually consume and feel good about it. Right. Well, then COVID happened. (laughs) The dun, pandemic, dun, dun. right? 2020, bitches. Unfortunately, the nat one that was rolled for the world is now kind of got in the way of me seeing my doctor. They called, they canceled the original appointment, and until like at that time, it was like indefinitely until they figure stuff out. Luckily, it was only like a couple weeks later they were able to reschedule me for another month ahead. Mm. And so I decided that that second month, I'm going to be fully committed to this FODMAP diet. I'm going to be 100% and see if this truly was going to help me. Because even when I was like halfway on it, I could tell that my body was starting to change slightly, not only with like how I was feeling at like in the morning, I was feeling different at nighttime. I was feeling different. And then unfortunately I lost 10 pounds when I, which is a lot for you. It is. I start when I first started. So essentially after my allergist, I weighed at 125 pounds and I'm five, four. So I don't have a ton of weight to lose to begin Mm -hmm. with. So that next month I committed, I was feeling a lot different, not a hundred percent, but enough to get me excited thinking that I may have found the answer. I might just have to come to terms with being on this diet for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I went to the gastro doctor by the second month, I lost even more weight And I was down to about 110 to 105 pounds. So I was technically now considered underweight. 
and I let the doctor know this. And I told the gastro doctor my life story, explained to him, like, I, the last two months I've been on this FODMAP diet because that's what was suggested to me. And he was actually kind of like happy and impressed at the same time. Like, and it's funny because as we were talking in his office on the wall are a whole bunch of pamphlets about the FODMAP diet and IBS and everything. And I could just imagine it if I did not put myself on that diet, he was just going to hand me one of those pamphlets and be like, here, do this first. So luckily that was a step that I was able to skip. Yeah. Because, yeah, because you were already there. (laughs) Right. And, and then he, because of my weight loss, he said that it's concerning because that to him, that meant that my body was not soaking up and keeping the nutrients of the food that I was eating. Right. And so at that point he was like, okay, I don't think you have IBS. And he explained it to me. He even drew like a diagram of the body for me so I could understand what he was saying, which I greatly appreciate. Mm -hmm. And he was like, okay, so we're going to do these different tests. And it was like a list of four different tests. Mm -hmm. The first one was then going to have more blood drawn so they can test it. And then I needed to schedule an ultrasound. uh, So that way they can look at my gallbladder and pancreas just to make sure that there's no like solid blockage and a tumor, a tumor. (laughs) And I will say that not only was I on this diet and the doctor didn't tell me after we met whether or not to stay on the diet. So I actually had a call back later in the week and ask about it. And he was like, Oh, if it's helping, stay on it. Otherwise, it's totally up. It's ultimately up to me if I want to stay on the diet. And I, I decided to stay on it because it was making me not feel like crap. Like mm-hmm. I was actually like okay and stable for a little bit there. And so when it came to the ultrasound, I had to fast a little bit, but it was only for like 24 hours or less, not anything crazy. And then the results came back that everything was perfectly normal and fine. There was nothing to be found. Okay. So after that, the next step was the same thing that you had, the colonoscopy endoscopy. And I always like to joke around that I became a human Chinese finger cuff. Yes. Got it from both ends. Both ends. And... This is kind of the moment that's, I don't know, made me nervous about how quickly I was moving through all of these tests. Because with this uh, procedure, you have to fast for a longer period of time. And by the end of it, like the day of my procedure, I was exactly 100 pounds. Mm -hmm. And I was so scared of dipping down blow triple digits and that is crazy because that that's so 25 pounds then in how much time a year in like three to four months oh my gosh so I was extremely nervous about the amount of weight loss that I was experiencing to the point where the day of the procedure I 
was having a hard time breathing. Mm. Like I was feeling like my body, like I triggered something and my body was just failing. Do you think it was anxiety mixed with just the exhaustion and everything? Right. Yes. I'm sure like I was extremely anxious because for the procedure they put you under or you have the option. They highly suggest if you're able to to go under. And anytime I have to go under, I, I freak out. It's just it's a trigger for me. I don't know why. It's just some anxiety ridden thing. And so, yes, I had high anxiety that day. And then I am somebody who can't miss a meal. So fasting in itself is a horrible experience for me. And then on top of that, there's the exhaustion because I had a hard time sleeping. I that, oh, goodness, that solution that you have to drink for this. Yeah, it is the worst. And so I had that procedure done and I had high hopes. I was really hoping that they were going to go in and they were going to physically see something inside of me and there were going to be answers. Well, I woke up from the procedure and the nurse that was attending me said everything looked good, that there was no issues, that they basically didn't see anything. And they took two tissue samples, polyps. Mm-hmm. sent it off uh, for testing just to confirm, but they came back completely benign and no issues. So, yeah, and it's so hard. Like, it's that's so discouraging when it's such a big test and you're like, there's got to be something in there that they can see. And then you right. realize maybe it's on a cellular level where it's like, ugh, great. So, right. so now what do I do? And The doctor, he wanted, he said that the next step, well, actually, the doctor had no idea at first. I had to wait a couple of days or I think even a week Mm -hmm. before the doctor called me back to say, okay, here's what I suggest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was a week too, which is kind of nerve wracking. But at the same time, it's like I would rather him do research and come to a good suggestion or conclusion than taking something off the top of his head. Yeah, absolutely. So what did he suggest as your next steps? He suggested something called the HIDA scan. And if you look that up, they essentially put a IV into you, into your arm or hand, and they inject a radioactive capsule into your bloodstream, which is then processed through your pancreas and gallbladder, and they just watch it. They have an x-ray on it, and for like four hours or longer, they just watch it go through your system. And radioactive substances makes me extremely nervous because, you know, growing up, you're taught That radioactive material is extremely dangerous. (laughs) Right. It will kill you. Stay away from it. Right. So I asked for a different option because I'm not ready to take that step. And so the doctor was came back a couple days later and suggested the SIBO breath test. Okay. So it's interesting because you're describing that injecting thing and all I thought about was the movie Inner Space. 
Have you seen that? I don't think I have. It's it has Martin Short in it and Meg Ryan. Um, oh, okay. She's in it too, but it's oh, from like an alien or something, right? No, no, that's The Martian. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. So this one is where they get shrunk down in this like little spaceship type thing and they get injected inside a body. Okay. And they have to like go through the body. Yeah. In this like spaceship thing. And he has to like plant a nerve, like an optic nerve thing, um, a camera so that he can see it, uh, what the person can see. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of what you're describing. Yeah. And I science fiction. So, but what's, what's the point of it? So they see it go through, is it collecting stuff? Is it just a camera? No. So essentially he is wanting to rule out or he has a concern. I mean, he didn't use those words because that's, you know, scary, but he wants to see if I am processing the way that I should be. Or to see if there is a leak and potentially that could be an issue or the reasons why I'm feeling the way I am. Interesting. So SIBO test, when is that happening? Now I'm fasting again. Oh my gosh. How many days? I started today and it will go until tomorrow. So tomorrow evening or afternoon, sorry, tomorrow afternoon, I'll be able to eat again. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, I am on the path of I'm supposed to be taking antibiotics again. Yeah. To see if that helps anything. And so I will do that. um, And then I'll just communicate with my doctor right afterward. Like, listen, this isn't working or maybe it works for a period of time. But then I don't know, something I'm eating is making it crazy. But in order for the meds to work, I have to have the diet mm-hmm. like they they you kind of have to do it together or else you're just feeding that bacteria no matter how many medication how much medication you're putting in the bacteria is going to continue to grow if you're feeding it right. i just like bread and right? potatoes <laughs> and rice and all of these delicious things and i'm oats all these delicious things i'm not allowed to eat during that time so food is yeah. delicious and I have taken myself almost completely off the FODMAP diet now because of my weight loss scare. Sure. Um, yep. I unfortunately, oh, and the doctor suggested that I drink Ensure drinks. They're just um, to give me more vitamins, minerals, protein, or, you know, nutrients and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I have to say those, I found dairy-free ones. Oh, and nice. they don't taste like half bad. But they didn't work. I am still only 103 pounds, and it is a struggle to gain weight, and I have no clue why. Are you counting your calories at all? Yeah, not on a daily basis, um, but yes, uh, every once in a while I still check my calories to make sure, uh, and I'm I'm meeting them. Like I, even if it's the bare minimum, I'm still meeting the average amount that somebody my age and height should be eating. I even told a nurse at the doctor facility of what my diet was like. And he was like, wow, you're eating healthier than most people that I work with. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Yeah, Not healthy. I'm trying to stay alive. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Will you help me? (laughs) 
That's why I'm here, sir. Please help me. Please, sir, help me. Exactly. Uh, oh, my goodness. Well, uh, well, that's awesome. I'm glad that you're going to move forward and get some answers. Um, and I will be listening to my doctor and hopefully getting some answers, but just really letting him know that how I'm feeling and continuing I've lost some weight, but I've had surgery recently. And so there's a lot of stuff going on. So it's too soon. It's too many factors for me to know what's up. Right. I agree. Yeah. No. And hopefully by the next podcast, we'll have even more information. Yeah. What are we chatting about next time on homebrew heels with Amanda and Sarah? (laughs) We will be talking about what we want or expect in the future. 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 <laughs> what is that from? Future. SpongeBob. That's right. Oh my Maybe. gosh. Maybe. We love some SpongeBob. Hashtag not sponsored. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I'm excited to hear about what's next for the future. And then hopefully you'll have some um, test results back as well. Yeah. Most definitely. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks so much. Talk to you guys or talk at you again later. Bye, adventures. Thanks.